Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to Christ Church of Livingston County Teaching Ministry. Christ Church is a member of the Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches, Tyndale Presbytery. The following audio recording is from a Covenant Renewal Liturgy at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. For our call to confession this morning, we're jumping ahead a bit in the story of the Pentecost event to Acts 2, verse 37, after Peter's Pentecost sermon. Uh, the book of Acts says this. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Thus I read you God's word. And the phrase, cut to the heart, is quite striking. Uh, we need to be cut to the heart over our sin. And now this is a formal worship service. One thing we want to avoid is trying to gin up the feeling of being cut to the heart right now, every seven days at this moment of the day. We don't need to do that. But if you never have that feeling of being cut to the heart, if you don't remember being cut to the heart about your sin this past week or month at all, then you may have a problem. This is one of the Spirit's most frequent works. When you see someone really upset about their sin, wanting to stop it, to confess it to the Lord, to put it away, you're seeing the Spirit at work. As Jesus says, the Spirit is like the wind. You may not see Him Himself, but you see what He does. And it's the same after sin is put away. When you see people thinking about how to love each other, when you see parents raising children with thoughtfulness and care, when you see church members thinking of each other, looking after each other, when you see citizens working for God's ways in their nation, when you see the sacrificial giving of time and expertise for others, when you see these things, you are seeing the Spirit at work. So see what the Spirit is doing and work with Him in it. Recover a sense of conviction for your sin and look to better ways, God's ways to live. Put away sin. Put on righteous holy Jerusalem and worship him. It's seven weeks after the Passover, 
and that's the, the timing of the 50 days. Pentecost is simply a Greek word for count 50. <laughs> it literally says count 50. 50 days, and then there's Pentecost. So the apostles are in Jerusalem for the feast, as they should be, according to God's word. They're doing what God had told them. They're also doing that in a second sense. Jesus had told them to wait in Jerusalem for the Spirit to come when he ascended. And so the Spirit is working in the apostles. The Spirit works in us uh, when we are obeying Jesus. And that's what the apostles are doing. They're at the feast in Jerusalem for it. They're waiting for the Spirit like Jesus said. And the Spirit comes upon them. Uh, verses 5 through 10, we see the Spirit doing miracles through the apostles. The rushing wind, the tongues of fire, the languages spoken uh, in the ESV and reached the English standard today. It says, speak in other tongues. Uh, and we talk about tongue speaking today, so we want to clarify that. But there's other uh, better translations, perhaps, that say they spoke in other languages. These are other languages. So, uh, God does these first two miracles on his own, the rushing wind, the tongues of fire coming down. But he uses the apostles for the languages. That's the third miracle, and it is a miracle. These apostles don't know all these languages that are listed in these verses. Uh, somehow, uh, God miraculously has them speak these languages. And, and this is part of what's called the sign gifts uh, of the apostles. Uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 12 is a good verse about that, where Paul mentions that, that the signs of an apostle were done among you. It's part of the way that he authenticates his ministry. And that's what miracles in Scripture usually do, mainly do, is they authenticate the ministry of someone who's bringing new revelation. That's what's happening here. The apostles are bringing new revelation to Israel about Jesus. And so that's authenticated with these miracles. And it is not God's design for miracles like this to continue in the church. Uh, we should not try to gin up tongue-speaking tongue with made-up syllables, for example, like some churches do, convincing ourselves that we're speaking by the Spirit. Uh, I think that's a recipe for spiritual doubt and disaster uh, when that's practiced. Uh, the apostles were speaking actual languages that Jews from Parthia and Egypt and Rome could understand. Uh, so that's uh, part of this, the miracle that the Spirit is doing here. So I'm mostly what they call a cessationist, which means the sign gifts, the miracles that authenticate apostolic ministry authority, those sign gifts have ceased. But I do say mostly, and, and in the outline, you see I say that the Spirit can do miracles through us. And I'm thinking mostly here of like the pioneer evangelism in native villages, where I've heard modern day stories of missionaries doing exorcisms or praying for healing, and it happens. And the people believe and they listen to the gospel for the first time. So that kind of thing I believe can happen. Uh, but don't go around claiming to have the power from God to heal. Uh, but you may encounter situations of spiritual conflict where you pray for a miracle oppose the evil one, and, and God works in that, uh, that is something the Spirit can do. So that takes us to verse 10, and then in verse 11 we see the main thing that the apostles do for the whole rest of the chapter, really, is to speak to others about God. 
verses 11 through 15. And we see that. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And then again, verse uh, 14 and 15. Uh, let it be known to you. These, uh, Peter goes on to speak about what, what God is, has, is doing here. So, the apostles tell the mighty works of God, verse 11. They speak boldly. They're refuting ridicule, verses 13 to 15. And, and this is something that I think we ought to consider in contrast to today. The church, especially I think in America, has largely been passive in the past few decades in the face of ridicule. Instead of doing what Peter does here, what we often have been doing is circling the wagons, gathering together in our evangelical ghettos, and shaking our heads together at how bad it is. Instead of having the boldness to speak truth to people who obviously don't buy it yet, we need to actually speak to them. We often want to wait to speak until they're banging down our doors, begging us to. And that's not good either. Part of the Spirit's work here is to get the apostles to recognize that God provided opportunity to speak. This was an obvious one of miracles, right? But the Spirit helps us to see the other opportunities that we have in our daily lives as well. So when the Spirit moves them to refute ridicule, right, to pass them and say, you guys are just drunk, right? They don't fight fire with fire, right? And that's the pun's intended there, right? The Spirit's fire falls. And they don't, the, the Spirit's fire doesn't burn things to the ground. The Spirit's fire doesn't ridicule people. Right? Jesus speaks of that. James and John want to call out fire on the village of the Samaritans. You don't know what spirit grows. And, and it would be easy to mock and to castigate back. You're the ones who are drunk in your foolish, ignorant ways. Right? That's the temptation that people, a response that people are tempted to make today. That's no good. It focuses on their wickedness and not on trust. Or the apostles could do the other, the opposite error. They could embrace the accusation. And some conservatives today are doing that. We'll talk about that in a minute. The apostles could say, Yeah, we're drunk. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. Can't you see what joy and gladness this brings us? You should join us. That's not the response they get either. Right? That focuses on the apostles having a good time. And not on Christ, which is where Peter's going to go. Now, I set it up that way on purpose because I think there's a lot of application today. In our current uh, woke wars, uh, I see both of those bad responses going on. The church is starting to figure out what it is we're dealing with, with wokeism and social justice and all that. But we're tending to respond in one of these two bad ways. We either simply revile the Marxists and say CRT is from the devil, and I think most of it is, I think that's right. But that focuses on the evil them. Right? That's not how the apostles speak here. Or the other the opposite here, some on the, the far right these days are starting to actually adopt the accusations that social justice people make just to spite them. Right? I'm having a great time being that woke, and I'm fine with my privilege and my skin color, so there. Right? And also, again, that's not technically wrong. 
incomplete if it focuses on yourself. Right? I think both of those responses fall short of this Pentecost sermon. They share an attitude of this for those to whom we are commissioned to speak. So the Spirit leads the apostles to speak to others about God. That's the main point of the session. And to give a reasoned case from the Bible for your beliefs. The focus is on getting the gospel message to people who don't believe it yet. So that's what the apostles are doing. One other uh, side point on this. Remember the distinction between extraordinary means of grace and ordinary means of grace. Right? Here in Acts 2, we see a strong example of the extraordinary means of grace. God, God can, in a, in a unique event, uh, call down fire on Sinai, or he can bring down the Pentecost fire here. And, and that's a huge means of grace to these 3,000 who come to believe. It's wonderful. The Spirit, I would argue, works just as powerfully in ordinary moments. The ordinary means of grace are critical. They're not as sensational, but, but they're just as powerful. Uh, when you read a Bible story to your kids, when you pray with them at night, parents have many chances to speak and they should use them well. Or if you're friends with people on social media, and, and a quick interaction and comments can do a lot if you speak in an authentic cost, acts to you kind of way. Even though you may never see it, you may never see the impact. That, that can point people to biblical truth. You don't have to give this whole sermon every time, but you're planting seeds of truth. The ordinary means of grace is critical. So, again, the Spirit is moving us to speak to others about God. Now, in the course of that, and we're up to verse uh, 17 now, 16 and 17, so Peter has uh, spoke, spoken out to address them, refuted their ritual, and one of the very first things he does then is points them to Scripture. This is the next point. The Spirit points us to the Bible. Right? Peter quotes Scripture twice. Uh, and, and that's just real. So many people, when they consider Pentecost, they think that they can say, ah, this is the birthday of the church. This is the start of the church. I think that's strongly misguided. But Peter is looking back to Joel and to the Psalms and saying, this is all the fulfillment of what the Old Testament said. So when God does something new, we don't throw out the old. Right? The new thing is fulfilling the old. Didn't have this in my notes, but that may bring out what Jesus says about the wineskins, right? Have to be careful about that. The new wineskins, you can't put old in new wineskins, right? You've got to get rid of the, the old wineskins. Right? I think what Jesus was talking about there is the oral tradition of the Pharisees. There, there were interpretations that they had made that weren't going to fit with the kingdom of God. Jesus is not saying there, you've got to throw off the Old Testament, because that just doesn't fit with what God's doing in anything. That's, that's a strong, uh, big mistake to make. Anyway, so the Spirit points us to the Bible. The, the new thing is fulfilling the old thing. God's word is God's works. They're one tapestry that hangs together like a beautiful picture. Old and New Testament both. When the fire of Pentecost comes down, the first thing they see that the Spirit tells the apostles to say about it is, this is Joel. This is the Psalms. This is the Old Testament. It's all in peace. It's beautiful. Well, Joel is talking about the apostles, it turns out. 
that they are Israel's sons and daughters that are prophesying by the Spirit, verse 17. Uh, these apostles are low in status. You know, in the economy of the day, they would be servants to the Sanhedrin types. And that's exactly what verse 18 says. Your servants shall prophesy. Uh, he says that this signals the beginning of the last days before the Lord comes. And in this time, we need to call on the name of the Lord to be saved. And that name is Jesus. He goes on to, to speak of that. So, so the Joel scripture is just so fit. Sometimes we wonder what it has to do with what the um, signs it had to do with, with it. Uh, we'll skip over that today and consider it later. But the Spirit is pointing to the Bible here. And it's the same thing in verse 25 through 28. David's talking about Jesus too. God is not, when Jesus dies, God is not going to let him rot in death. And he doesn't. So, uh, too many Christians make a false choice between the Spirit or the Bible. Uh, and, and there's this, well, if you're too much in the Bible, then you're just, you're quenching the Spirit. Uh, and, and that's a, a false choice. The Spirit wrote the Bible. The Spirit wrote the Bible. And you, the Spirit lives in you as you read God's Word. It's critical. How would you like to have the author of the book right there with you as you read it to ask them what they need here or there? Right? Some of you actually have had that experience, and so it's kind of cool. But consider that thought experiment and antidote with it. What if the Supreme Court of our country could directly consult James Madison about the original intent of the Constitution? Well, that would be good, right? That's huge. But you know what's way bigger yet? Is having God's word in front of you. And God's spirit within you. What a blessing. Now that doesn't mean we don't always understand everything in the Bible perfectly. But we are fully equipped to grow in the grace of Jesus. I have to think that as I consider this on the same page summer that Christ Church in Moscow is doing. I've got a couple of those handouts in the back if you want to uh, start that. This is, a, this is a good time to read through the New Testament this summer. So I've got a few of those schedules for you. The Spirit is pointing you to the Bible. So, next thing is that the Spirit points us to Jesus' death, his resurrection, his reign. This is in verse 22. Uh, after the opening quote by Joel, Peter uh, begins the, the actual message. And he begins with Jesus of Nazareth. And what I'd like to do in this section is really verses 22 to 36 is point out this is really the first Christian sermon. And if you've ever been interested in what should a sermon be, what should a sermon look like, well, here's a good place to go. And I just want to paraphrase. Here's the sermon outline of Peter, right? So the first thing he says, point number one, Jesus did miracles that he heard about. Right? That's verse 22, point two. Okay, that's point one. Point two, you had him crucified wrongly. Right, that's verse 23. Verse, uh, point three, God raised him from the dead. They had predicted it, and we saw it. Right, that's point number three. That, that's more of text, verse 24 down to 33 or so. Then verse uh, 
just did this wind and fire and languages thing that we just saw. Jesus did that from heaven. That's basically what Peter says, right? David was talking, they quote Psalm 110, verse 35, 34, right? And again, Peter makes the point there. David's talking about somebody else in, in Psalm 110. He's not talking about himself. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the one who ascended to heaven, Jesus. We saw that happen. That's point four. Point number five is the clincher in verse 36. Jesus is Lord and Messiah. God made him Lord. God made him Christ. So there's your five-point sermon. First sermon from the apostles to the church, the people of Israel. And notice, I think this is really cool. There's... Of course, it's in spirit inspired, so of course it's going to be cool. <laughs> but notice at each point, where it would be hard for the crowd to believe, Peter slows down and he explains a little more. And he quotes scripture. Right? He starts with the things that are easier to believe. You've heard of Jesus. You've heard he's done miracles. Right? You, you, you know he was crucified. You did that. And then the harder thing, God raised him from the dead. What? So he slows down, quotes David, says we're witnesses. It's a fascinating case study in how how to present a persuasive message of the gospel. Uh, Peter goes to scripture and explains from there. Anyway, lot we can talk about there. But the spirit of Peter is pointing to Christ's death and resurrection and his current reign. And he's pointing out these things that are happening, you know, the spirit, the, the wind, the fire. Things are happening because Jesus is on the throne and he's sending that house. And that's something that we can uh, talk about, not just in the extraordinary, sensational events, but, but in the everyday. In the way when we say, see how they love one another. Yeah, that's happening, not because of us, but because Jesus has sent a spirit to us to help us do that. So the spirit's pointing us to Jesus. We need to be doing the same, pointing people to Jesus. Next point, Peter, uh, Peter preaches verse 37 to 40. The Spirit convicts us of sin. He mentioned this as a call to confession. Uh, and they're cut to the heart in verse 37. And, and why? Because a couple of times Peter has said it very clearly this Jesus whom you crucified, right? He's not pulling any punches here. It's not a feel good, felt needs kind of sermon. He says, You guys messed up. Killed Jesus, and he's the Messiah. You canceled the one guy who God sent to save you. What do we do now? Is the natural response if you believe that. That's what we do. Well, people today do the same thing. They vigorously reject that they need Jesus. Or they reject that they need to adopt Christ's views about how to live. Right? I see this on social media all the time. Who are you to impose your beliefs on me? God made you. So he can. It's the basic answer to that. It's, it's not one people often accept. And that just sounds like death to the unregenerate. Right? When they hear that, what they hear is, oh man, I'm going to have to give up my life and just be a robot puppet for some oppressive follower in the sky. That's kind of what they hear. They're not understanding the truth. And Satan comes along and he condemns them with, with no hope of escape. 
then he fires them up with some big meat shit move. You know, I can beat whoever I want to beat, and that'll be great. And there's no constructive conviction there at all. It's just destruction. In contrast, the Spirit convicts us of sin in a constructive way. Right? What shall we do? And the Gospel, verse 38 39, also always comes with hope. Yeah, you killed Jesus. Yeah, you, you've been canceling him for years, by the way you've been living. But you can uncancel Jesus. You can come back to him, be washed clean, have your children saved, and many others saved, too. That's verse 38 39. The Spirit convicts us of sin. Not like the devil accuses and condemns. Conviction leads to life and blessing. But we're out of time, so I'm just going to briefly mention verse 41 to 47. The Spirit creates a growing community. And here you see all kinds of things happening. You see baptism. You see the Word of God devoted to the Apostles' teaching. You see fellowship together. You see communion and the breaking of bread. You see prayers together. You see miracles done by the Apostles. Again, to continue the ongoing authority that they have in this new situation. You see the church members giving to one another sacrificially, um, exercising hospitality, going from house to house, having the church over, uh, the growth of the community day by day. Lots going on there. Uh, just the first two, baptism and the word. It always makes me think of uh, the traditional hymn, the church is one foundation. Right? By water and the word. Uh, that phrase is uh, so glorious. Uh, that well, the Spirit's creating a growing community. That's what's happening. And again, let's, let's think now about the second thing I wanted to do, which is the Old Testament, New Testament connection. There's, there's a parallel here. There's an Old Testament Pentecost that happens. Uh, Israel uh, had always connected Sinai with Pentecost. It's roughly the same time frame, right? Remember in Exodus 19, it's, it's been three new moons. So, a little bit less than three months, which is, it turns out, about 50 days. So about 50 days after Passover, or after we come out of Egypt, it might have been longer, I'm not convinced of the exact day, but about the same time, three days after Passover, God comes down on Sunday. And Israel, historically, has always connected uh, the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Pentecost, with the Sinai event. Which is quite something to think about. The purpose of the law, God gives the law at Sinai. What was the purpose of the law? What does the law do? Uh, in Psalm 19, I always come back to the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. That's something we don't think about often. We often think about the law uh, killing or pointing out our sin, condemning, right? That's true, the law does that too. But Psalm 19 also says that the law revives the soul. What is the summary of the law? It's to love God and your neighbor. Part of the law is to convict of sin. All of that is happening in Acts 2 on Pentecost. The Spirit is reviving the soul. It's directing people to love God through Christ, to love their neighbor as they share their goods with one another. They're convicted of sin. You see that the, the coming of the law at Sinai it is a foreshadowing of the fulfillment of that in Acts 2. It's amazing. 
Uh, one is that the fire and thunder at Sinai is very similar to the, the sound of the wind and tongues of fire in Acts 2. Uh, there's at Sinai later on that uh, you have the golden calves in it, right? Uh, and Moses comes down and he calls the Levites together. He says, all right, go to the camp and kill everybody who's sinning because there's all kinds of revelry and sexual immorality going on. 3,000 people died that day. 3,000 specifically mentioned in Acts chapter 2 for the Pentecost sermon, 3,000 people are baptized. The same number. And in 2 Corinthians 3, we read where Paul then makes the contrast. He says, The law kills, the Spirit gives life. He had this ministry of the old, on tablets of stone in the Old Testament that was a ministry of glory. How much more glory is now? Scripture makes this parallel direct. That's very obvious. But two more things. One is that God's fire was in the temple. Right? There was fire in the tabernacle ever since Sinai. They set up the tabernacle and they have one stands. God's fire has always been there. But now in Acts chapter 2, what happens? What actually happens is the veil is torn. And that doesn't just allow us to go into the temple, but it, it's a symbol that God is going to come out. And the fire falls from heaven on the apostles, and on the people. What does scripture say? We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We're the temple now. In a sense, the Pentecost is the day that God changes his uh, address. God moves from the temple to the church, to God's people. He moves his presence into us. He's shaping us to better host him. We're the temple that God is building to be to um, to have worthy sacrifices, uh, as First Peter two says. There's this progression all throughout Scripture. If you think about it, this progression of God's presence with His people, right? You, you see it in Abraham. With, with scattered altars throughout Canaan, right? There's a, there's a, a smattering of God's presence in Canaan. Then we move forward to the tent, the tabernacle of Moses, and then to the temple of David. And now in Acts chapter 2, from the temple to God's people, with the apostles. So that's something else cool to consider, is God's fire in the temple, representing his presence among God's people. And now that's within us. That spirit is within us. It's an amazing move that God makes, but fully consistent with everything he's already done. Last thing is that both Sinai and Acts 2 are foundational acts. They're establishing the community. Israel at Sinai establishes the Jewish people as a people. The Ten Commandments are the charter of the law given. This is how we will live uh, in God's ways. It's the same thing in Acts chapter 2. The church now uh, formed by the Spirit, by the message about Jesus, by the baptism of these 3,000, uh, by their reading the bread in the ocean. Uh, so people got the Spirit that wants us to Christ.
gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How did this man give us his flesh to drink? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. Verse 6 It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no avail. As far as reading God's Word, the Spirit is the one who makes this whole communion happen. God uses a food and a nutrition metaphor sacrament. And it's a good one. That when you eat a normal meal, sometimes it doesn't feel like much is happening. You eat your veggies, and you can tell that you aren't hungry anymore. But you don't really feel all that your body is doing to digest it and turn the energy for yourself to help your body. Right? We can learn about that and know some of what's happening. But the mystery remains. And so it is with the Lord's supper. As we partake of Christ together, sometimes we sense the strength in it, but sometimes we don't. But God's Word tells us, because we're doing this together, what Jesus told us to in His name, that what is actually happening is He's feeding us Christ Himself, whether we sense that every time or not. So unless you eat of Jesus, you don't have eternal life, Jesus says. But then verse 63, it's the spirit that gets this done, not the physical eating. As we eat and drink here, we need to trust the sacrifice of Christ on the cross to work uh, for our sins. We also need to trust the spirit to bring us to Jesus. Both of these are called the Father's good plan for you. So come and welcome to the Lord Jesus. Thank you for listening to this audio recording from Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in this recording, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact us through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.